0: At this time, we're going to uh, turn our attention to God's Word, and like you've heard a little bit earlier, uh, we're going to begin a new series today, and it's on the book of Esther. And in order to set us up for the next few sermons, what we're going to do this morning is actually read through the entire book of Esther. If you've ever preached on Esther before, you know that it's a very difficult book to preach on unless people sort of have heard the story before and have actually Paid attention to some of the details that we find there. And so that's what we're going to try and do this morning. As I mentioned earlier, we also need the help of the congregation in reading through the story because there is an antagonist. Um, There's a villain in this story, and his name is Haman. Haman wants to put to death all of the Jews in the Persian kingdom. And so um, this is a Jewish tradition, actually, in the celebration of Purim. And uh, what happens there when they read through the book of Esther is that everyone, when they hear the name Haman, makes as much noise as they can to try to drown out that name. We want to blot out the name of Haman. And so children, that's why you were given noisemakers this morning on your way into church. Um, Now is the time you actually get to use them. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a brief practice, okay? Okay. So when I say the name of Haman, I want you to make a little noise with your noisemakers, all right? Now, uh, There's a, one caveat. The noise shouldn't go on for the rest of the service. So we want a little bit of noise and then uh, a, a firm end to the noise, OK? So let me, let me give us a test, all right? Haman. OK, OK, OK. That was good but only about a quarter of that length, all right? Let's try it again. Haman. Stop, stop, all right. Do this. Haman, count one, and then stop. (laughs) Let's try it one more time. Haman. Okay, very good. Now, for the rest of you, you get to participate as well. So if you weren't handed a noisemaker on your way into church, actually there's still some in the back if you want, but for those older, uh, what we'd like you to do is either stomp your feet or hiss. You know how to hiss, right? Sss. All right, I, I get it. You know how. All right, let's, let's do a quick test. Stomp your feet or hiss. Haman. All right. All right. I don't think we're going to have a problem with you making noise. All right, could we have the readers up? And um, we are now going to read through the story of Esther. And um, you won't get a lot of Haman's toward the beginning, but you're going to get a lot of them um, as we move through the story. So let's hear um, God's word to his people um, today. And I should make one more note, and that is, as we read through the story, I'm also going to serve sort of as a a living commentary up here. So I'm going to pause just a few times and give you some extra notes on on what's happening in the story and what we should be paying attention to.
1: These events happened in the days of King Xerxes who reigned over 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia.
0: All right, and this is the first place I want to pause. And I simply want to call your attention to the map that we have up here. This says, best we can tell, is the size of the Persian Empire at the time of King Xerxes. So if you see there, it borders on Egypt um, to the south, Greece to the west, and it extends all the way to Pakistan on the east. So it's a formidable kingdom. It's really a world kingdom.
2: At that time Xerxes ruled his empire from his royal throne at the fortress of Susa. In the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles (coughs) and officials. He invited all the military officers of Persia and Media, as well as the princes and nobles of the provinces. The celebration lasted 180 days, a tremendous display of the opulent wealth of his empire and the pomp and splendor of his majesty. When it was all
1: over, the king gave a banquet for all the people, from the greatest to the least, who were in the fortress of Susa. It lasted for seven days and was held in the courtyard of the palace garden. The courtyard was beautifully decorated with white cotton curtains and blue hangings which were fastened with white linen cords and purple ribbons to silver rings embedded in marble pillars. Gold and silver couches stood on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Drinks were served in gold goblets of many designs and there was an abundance of royal wine reflecting the king's generosity. By edict of the king, no limits were placed on the drinking, for the king had instructed
2: all his palace officials to serve each man as much as he wanted. At the same time, Queen Vashtai gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes.
1: On the seventh day of the feast, when King Xerxes was in high spirits because of the wine, he told the seven eunuchs who attended him to bring Queen Vashtai to him with a royal crown on her head. He wanted the nobles and all the other men to gaze on her beauty, for she was a very beautiful woman. But when they conveyed the king's order to Queen Vashti, she refused to come. This made the king furious, and he burned with anger.
0: Another note here. Uh, you may have noticed <clears throat> that we've heard mention already of three banquets. The story of Esther actually seems to be structured on all the different banquets that make up the story. So look out for more banquets coming. You may be wondering however how one banquet could last 180 days. Well, Herodotus, the Greek historian, actually mentions a very large war council that Xerxes pulled together with the intent or or because of his intent to attack the nation of Greece. So basically Xerxes convened all of the officials and military leaders from all of his provinces and brought them to Susa in order to wine and dine them and convince them to join him in his campaign against Greece. He wanted to show them the full glory of the kingdom of Persia and how they themselves could share in that glory if they fought with him. And so you can imagine why he was so angry when his wife refused to come to him. I mean, he had gathered from the world over Rulers, people who ruled in the world, gathered them from all different parts of the world to show them his authority and his power, and yet he could not get his own wife to obey him.
2: He immediately consulted with his wise advisors, who knew all the Persian laws and customs, for he always asked their advice. They met with the king regularly and held the highest positions in the empire.
3: What must be done to Queen Vashti? What penalty does the law provide for a queen who refuses to obey the king's orders properly sent through his eunuchs?
2: Um, Now answered the king and his nobles. Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king but also every noble and citizen throughout your empire. Women everywhere will begin to despise their husbands when they learn that Queen Vashti has refused to appear before the king. Before this day is out, the wives of all the king's nobles throughout Persia and Media will hear what the queen did and will start treating their husbands the same way. There will be no end to their contempt and anger. So if it please the king, we suggest that you issue a written decree, a law of the Persians and Medes that cannot be revoked. It should order that Queen Vashti be forever banished from the presence of King Xerxes, and that the king should choose another queen more worthy than she. When this decree is published throughout the king's vast empire, husbands everywhere, whatever their rank, will receive proper respect from their wives.
0: All I want to say here is that uh, the story is also filled with satire. In other words, we were supposed to just chuckle a little at that last line.
1: The king and his nobles thought this made good sense, so he followed Mimukin's counsel. He sent letters to all parts of the empire, to each province in its own script and language, proclaiming that every man should be the ruler of his own home and should say whatever he pleases. But after Xerxes anger had subsided he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made so his personal attendants suggested
2: let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa Haggai the king's eunuch in charge of the harem will see that they are all given beauty treatments after that, the young woman, who most pleases the king, will be made queen instead of Ashai. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin and was a descendant of Kish in Shemai. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar.
0: Two things uh, I want to point out here about this introduction to Mordecai. The first thing is that he was living in Susa. Now, why that's important is because the Jews were freed from captivity in Babylon by Cyrus, who was Xerxes' father. In other words, Cyrus defeated the Babylonians, and when he did that, he told all the Jews that they could actually go back to their homeland. So Mordecai is one of the many Jews who chose not to return home. And these Jews lived with one particular question in their minds, and that is, does God's covenant and his covenant promises, do they still apply to us, or do they only apply to the Jews who are living back in the promised land? Um, The second thing about this introduction is that we're told that Mordecai was a descendant of Kish. And those of you who know your Old Testaments know that Kish was actually the father of Saul. And we'll discuss the significance of that just a little later.
1: This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. When her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family
2: and raised her as his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, were brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her and provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, specially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and the maids into the best
1: place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality and family background because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard of the harem to find out about Esther and what was
2: happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatments, six months with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments. When it was time for her to go to the king's palace, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem.
1: That evening she was taken to the king's private rooms and the next morning she was brought to the second harem where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of Sheshgaz, the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name.
2: Esther was the daughter of Abihail, who was Mordecai's uncle. Mordecai had adopted his younger cousin, Esther. When it was Esther's turn
1: to go to the king, she accepted the advice of Haggai, the eunuch in charge of the harem, She asked for nothing except what he suggested, and she was admired by everyone who saw
2: her. Esther was taken to King Xerxes at the royal palace in early winter of the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other
1: young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head
2: and declared her queen instead of Ashtai. To celebrate the occasion, he gave a great banquet in Esther's honor for all his nobles and officials, declaring a public holiday for the provinces and giving generous gifts to everyone. Even after all the young women
1: had been transferred to the second harem and Mordecai had become a palace official, Esther continued to keep her family background and nationality a secret. She was still following
2: Mordecai's directions, just as she did when she lived in his home. One day as Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate, Two of the king's eunuchs, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him.
1: But Mordecai heard about the plot and gave the information to Queen Esther. She then
2: told the king about it and gave Mordecai credit for the report. When an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on a sharpened pole. This was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign.
1: Some time later, King Xerxes promoted Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, over all the other nobles, making him the most powerful official in the empire. All the king's officials would bow down before Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by, for so the king had commanded. But Mordecai
2: refused to bow down or show him respect.
0: Again, a couple of things uh, worth mentioning here. We just heard of Mordecai doing the king a very big favor by exposing an assassination plot on the king. Well, it was ordinary protocol in Persia to reward a person for such an act as that. However, while the listener wants to hear of Mordecai's reward, what we hear instead is that Haman, the antagonist, is promoted to second in power in the empire. And just as we noted the introduction of Mordecai, we also have to pay attention to how Haman is introduced. Haman is referred to as an Agagite. An Agagite. Well, that word comes from King Agai, who was also an Amalekite. Now, the Amalekites, if you remember, they were the very first people to attack the Jews after their release from Egypt. The Jews were God's new covenant nation. And the Amalekites tried to wipe them out right after their creation. And because of this, God told Moses that he would completely erase the memory of the Amalekites from under heaven and would be at war with them from generation to generation. Now the story gets even better. Israel's first king was Saul. And God instructed Saul to attack the Amalekites and totally destroy them and everything that belonged to them. But Saul disobeyed. He won the battle, but he did not destroy all the spoils of war. And he spared the life of the king of the Amalekites, whose name happened to be Agag, who was the ancestor of Haman.
1: Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day, but he still refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman about this to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct, since Mordecai had told them he was a Jew. When
2: Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire of Xerxes. So in the month of April, during the
1: 12th year of King Xerxes' reign, lots were cast in Haman's presence. The lots were called Purim to determine the best day and month to take action. And the day selected was March 7, nearly a year later.
0: So we're told here that they cast lots, or that lots were cast. This is actually a major part of the theme of the story. Um, Lots were called Purim. And they were cube-shaped pieces of clay, almost identical to modern-day dice. And we all know that dice are instruments of what? They're instruments of, of chance. In Xerxes' day, they predicted one's destiny, or their fate. And that, in a way, is what the story is all about. Um, Do events in life, do they happen by mere coincidence or do they happen by something we call providence? Now note also that these lots were cast in the month of April on the eve of the Passover. And the Passover was when God created and freed his covenant people. um, The people through whom salvation or he would send salvation to the world. Here on the eve of Passover, Haman plots to wipe out those people. Haman plots to wipe out the people along with God's plan of salvation. However, just by coincidence, the day that's chosen for this plan to go into effect is almost a year away, which provides plenty of time for a salvation plan to be put into effect.
1: Then Haman approached King Xerxes.
4: There is a certain race of people scattered through all the provinces of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people, and they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So is it not in the king's interest to let them live? If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed, and I will give ten thousand large sacks of silver to the government administrators to be deposited in the royal treasury.
2: The king agreed, confirming his decision by removing his signet ring from his finger and giving it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews.
3: The money and the people are both yours to do with as you see fit.
2: So on April 17, the king's
1: secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Haman <laughs> dictated It was sent to the king's highest officers, the governors of the respective provinces, and the nobles of each province in their own script and language. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's
2: signet ring. Dispatches were sent by swift messengers into all the provinces of the empire, giving the order that all Jews, young and old, including women and children, must be killed, slaughtered, and annihilated on a single day. This was scheduled to happen on March 7 of the next year. The property of the Jews would be given to those who killed them.
1: A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that they would be ready to do their duty on the appointed day. At the king's command, the decree went out by swift messengers, and it was also proclaimed
2: in the fortress of Susa. Then the king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa fell into confusion. When Mordecai
1: learned about all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, and went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, for no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of
2: mourning. And as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes.
1: When Queen Esther's maids and eunuchs came and told her about Mordecai, she was deeply distressed. She sent clothing to him to replace the burlet, but he refused it. Then Esther sent for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to her as attendant. She ho- ordered him to go to Mordecai and find out what was troubling him and why he was in mourning. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the square in front of
2: the palace gate. Mordecai told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave Hathak a copy of of the decree issued in Susa that called for the death of all Jews. He asked Hathak to show it to Esther and explain the situation to her. He also asked Hathak to direct her to go to the king to beg for mercy and plead for her people. So Hathak returned to Esther with Mordecai's
1: message. Then Esther told Hathok to go back and relay this message to Mordecai.
5: All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days.
2: Mordecai sent this reply to Esther.
3: Don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for such a time as this.
5: Then
1: Esther sent this reply to Mordecai.
5: Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in and see the king. If I must die, I must die.
1: So Mordecai went away and did everything as
2: Esther had ordered him. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter.
3: What do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom.
5: If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The
1: king turned to his
2: attendants.
3: Tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet as Esther has requested.
2: So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther,
3: Now, tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom.
5: This is my request and deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman. Tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. Haman
1: was a happy man as he left the banquet, but when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious However,
2: he restrained himself and went on home. Then Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh his wife and boasted to them about his great wealth and his many children. He bragged about the honors that the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials.
4: And that's not all. Queen Esther invited only me and the king himself to the banquet she prepared for us. And she has invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. This is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting there at the palace gate.
1: So Haman's wife, Zeresh, and all his friends suggested, set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall, and in the morning ask the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman. And and he ordered the pole set up. That night, the king had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him.
2: In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes.
3: What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this?
1: His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him.
3: Who is that in the outer court?
1: As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman
2: is out in the court. Bring him in. So Haman came in, and the king said,
3: What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me?
2: Haman
1: thought to himself,
4: who would the king wish to honor more than me?
2: So he replied,
4: if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with a royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robe and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor.
3: Excellent, Haman. Quick, take the robes in my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested.
1: So Haman took the robes and put them on Mordecai placed him on the king's own horse and led him through the city square shouting this is what the
4: king
2: does for someone he wishes to honor afterward Mordecai returned to the palace gate but Haman hurried home dejected and completely humiliated when Haman told his
1: wife Zeresh And all his friends, what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, Since Mordecai, this man who has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to
2: continue opposing him. While they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet Esther had prepared. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther,
3: Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom.
5: If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king.
3: Who would do such a thing? Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you?
5: This wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman
2: grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman!
1: however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed,
3: Will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes?
1: As soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's
2: face, signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination.
3: Then impale Haman on it.
2: The, The king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. That same day, King Xerxes gave the property of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, to Queen Esther. Then Mordecai was brought before the king, for Esther had told the king
1: how they were related. The king took off his signet ring, which he had taken back from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And
2: Esther appointed Mordecai to be in charge of Haman's property. Then Esther went again before the king, falling down at his feet and begging him with tears to stop the evil plot devised by Haman, the Agagite, against the Jews. Again the king held out the
1: gold scepter to Esther. So she rose and stood before him.
5: If it please the king, and if I have found favor with him, and if he thinks it is right, and if I am pleasing to him, let there be a decree that reverses the orders of Haman, Son of Hamadathah the Agagite, who ordered that Jews throughout all the king's provinces should be destroyed. For how can I endure to see my people and my family slaughtered and destroyed?
2: Then King Xerxes said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew,
3: I have given Esther the property of Haman, and he has been impaled on a pole because he tried to destroy the Jews. Now go ahead and send a message to the Jews in the king's name, telling them whatever you want, and seal it with the king's signet ring. But remember that whatever has already been written in the king's name and sealed with his signet ring can never be revoked.
1: So on June 25, the king's secretaries were summoned, and a decree was written exactly as Mordecai dictated. It was sent to the Jews and to the highest officers, the governors, and the nobles of all the 127 provinces stretching
2: from India to Ethiopia. The decree was written in the scripts and languages of all the peoples of the empire, including that of the Jews. The decree was written in the name of King Xerxes and sealed with the king's signet ring. Mordecai sent the dispatches by swift messengers who rode fast horses, especially bred for the king's service. The king's decree
1: gave the Jews in every city authority to unite to defend their lives. They were allowed to kill, slaughter, and annihilate anyone of any nationality or province who might attack them or their children and wives and to take the property of their enemies The day chosen for this event throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes was
2: March 7 of the next year. A copy of this decree was to be issued as law in every province and proclaimed to all peoples so that the Jews would be ready to take revenge on their enemies on the appointed day. So urged on by the king's command, the messengers rode out swiftly on fast horses bred for the king's service. The same decree was also proclaimed in the fortress of Susa. Then Mordecai left the king's presence, wearing
1: the royal robe of blue and white, the great crown of gold, and an outer cloak of fine linen and purple. And the people of Susa celebrated the new decree.
2: The Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday and many of the people of the land became jews themselves for they feared what the jews might do to them so on march 7th the
1: two decrees of the king were put into effect on that day the enemies of the jews had
2: hoped to overpower them but quite the opposite happened and all the nobles of the provinces the highest officers the governors and the royal officials helped the jews for fear of mordecai so the jews went ahead on the appointed day and struck down their
1: enemies with a sword They killed and annihilated their enemies and they did as they pleased with those who hated them But they did not take any plunder
0: one last note here and that is uh, the strange little detail that the Jews did not take any plunder this actually gets repeated two more times in the full text Um, so you have to ask the question why is this so important why is it so important that they did not take any plunder could it be because in a holy war Where God is at work, the spoils were always to be left for the Lord. And could it be because the last time Kish did battle with Agag, Saul was commanded to leave the spoils? And could it be because God, who is never mentioned in the book of Esther, really is at work throughout this entire story?
2: Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to the Jews near and far, throughout all the provinces of King Xerxes, calling on them to celebrate an annual festival on these two days. So the Jews accepted Mordecai's proposal and adopted the annual
1: custom. Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted to crush and destroy them on the date determined by casting lots. The lots were called Purim. But when Esther came before the king, he issued a decree causing Haman's evil plot to backfire, and Haman and his sons were impaled on the sharpened pool. That is why this celebration is called Purim, because it is the ancient word for casting lots.
0: And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. to God. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we have just heard a story, an account in Scripture in which we did not hear your name and yet we believe you were at work because it is part of the story of you bringing salvation to your people. And now we see the fulfillment of that story on the tables in front of us, tables to which we have been invited to dine with you. Lord, make this story real in our hearts and in our minds. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.